Hello, it's Kelly Vero here from Wine and Web3, and I'm really excited and also a little bit sad to introduce you to the final episode of Wine and Web3 this time. I'm really honored and fortunate to have been able to spend the last nine weeks or so talking about the roadmap for everything, Web3, Metaverse, NFTs, blockchain, with a variety of incredible guests. Today, is no exception. Today, I get to talk to the amazing Andrew Allison, CEO of Libation Labs and part of our Cuvée Collective journey. I hope you enjoy it. Hi everybody, Kelly Vero here and welcome to our final, sadly, instalment of Wining Web 3 from Cuvée Collective. As I said, I'm Kelly Vero, but I've got a really, really special guest today. It's the CEO of Libation Labs and obviously our leader and thought leader and opinion leader, Andrew Allison um, of Cougar Collective and Libation Labs. How are you doing today? I'm great, Kelly. Thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm really, really good. Thank you. I wanted to spend some time with you throughout the entire series of Wine and Web 3 because I think that every time we've had an interesting guest on, I've really wanted to say, oh, Andrew, Andrew, come over here and listen to what this person's got to say. But actually, you've listened to the podcast episodes over the course of the last few weeks, and now you're on the spot. So <laughs> I'm not going to test your knowledge, but I am going to see, you know, whether there have been some great learning opportunities for Cuvée Collective as you approach your first NFT drop. Tell me a little bit about the, the journey of Cuvée Collective from the beginning. Uh, yeah, definitely. The journey from Cuvée Collective is, and <clears throat> um, is one that started probably about this time last year. I didn't know what we wanted to do, but I knew that we wanted to build something in in the alcohol space, in particular the wine space. And so, <clears throat> with a few of our key investors, I would just go have a monthly whiteboarding session with them. And so I would just sit down and we'd put up a dozen ideas and, okay, if, if we're going to do one of these dozen ideas, how do we test them? And then we'd come back and look at the data or early learnings or some anecdotal uh, interviews and we'd cross off half of them and keep going. And then when we got to the end of the year in December, uh, I think a couple of the investors are just like, and, and it's funny because they didn't know that um, I was talking to the other investors as well as, and so in December, um, three for three on one day of meetings, everyone's like, yeah, I think you're ready. Like, just let us know when, when you want us to send you a check. And so that, that process of like pressure cooking a concept uh, went through four solid months of, of proper explore, exploration. And so you're writing, business models for concepts that you might end up killing in it. And we killed, um, out of that original dozen, we killed 11 of them. And this one just kept holding water. So every time we would look at the data or we'd look at the notes from interviews or speaking to people, just kept coming back to like, yeah, this this feels like one we should, we should invest in, so. So in week one of the podcast, we looked at the, the soil, the ground, the foundation with which you build your technology on top of, or in the case of, of talking with Katie Vogt, we talked about the, 
kind of her day to day from the perspective of maintaining the heritage of winemaking. How have you seen similarities or maybe you've seen total parallels between these two sort of fields? Because I think one of the things that I love about Kube Collective is that it really does feel like you're brewing something or you're blending something or you're making and cooking something. Um, as far as the wine industry goes, it was, it was abundantly clear, like many of the people that we partnered with struggled to get into web two or were doing web two at a level that, um, they would self identify as room to improve. And so to talk to them about, to talk to winery brands about web three, it felt really clear that there was an opportunity to go on that journey with the brands. And so it's almost as if we spend just as much time checking in with our brand partners to make sure that the direction that we're building in is one that in aligns with their brand's values. And when we represent their brands in the Web3 space, we need to make sure that we fully understand their brand, what they're looking for, who their target consumer is. And so there's a lot of time working backwards in terms of um, not necessarily asking for not necessarily asking for the brands to tell us what to do, but definitely checking that uh, value alignment is there. And there's many things that are going on in Web3 that are just so new for everybody that as we look into the different components of the Web3 ecosystem, we really don't want to lose sight of who the end consumer is and who, who the wine drinkers of next generation are. And, and I, I think that's where we spend a lot of time there. And, and just a, a really simple example of that would be um, <clears throat> speaking to Gen Z consumers, like, what are you drinking? What are you bringing to, to a party? And um, many times you don't hear Gen Z, especially the ones that are a bit more affluent um, talking about wine. So really trying to understand how, how to bridge that, that gap. Um, last week's episode was, you know, it, to, to your point, was rather a doozy because we had this incredible conversation with Decentraland where we talked about what NFT wine tastes like. And I had an opinion of what it was like. And obviously Maria had an opinion about what she thought it tasted like as well. And I think that um, when I first, when I definitely came to this project um, of presenting Wine in Web 3, I, I really was super excited because I thought this would be a great opportunity to be able to change the way that we think about wine, especially from a Gen Z perspective. But actually when you come full circle, as we did last week with Maria and Decentraland, what you realize is actually, it is about all of those things that you've just talked about. It's about laying down that foundation, building that awareness, developing that structure of understanding. And then that can be a lingua franca into Web3 or, you know, if you want to stay in Web2, you can. And I just thought that that was really inspiring to me to hear somebody in Web3 talking about, you know, that the fact that it's not this or that, it is whatever it is that you want to bring to it as an individual. And I think that your Gen Z audience will do the same thing. Now, in the second episode, we talked to Rob and Ray, and those guys are 
um, in the second episode, the third episode, actually, we talked to Robin Ray. And those guys are really straight down the line economists and business operations specialists. The economies of scale in terms of NFT, you and I both know, are fantastical. They're amazing. But in terms of keeping that wine heritage alive, we have to deploy the economies of scale quite carefully in the physical. Do you yeah. see NFTs underpinning the future heritage of, of wine generally and the pedigree as well? Uh, and. And there's a couple a couple things you said there I'd, I'd want to touch on, but maybe I could do it at the same time. I I think the number one thing that we've observed is the term blockchain feels very unapproachable in the wine industry. It it feels daunting. Many people don't know what blockchain means as a concept. And as soon as you start to explain it as an open ledger that allows people to validate transactions, uh, you, it's just a light bulb moment. And so. When you when you start to have conversations with folks like uh, uh, Dr. Eiler and um, you know Ray Johnson from Sonoma State, I think the reality is is when you talk about an open ledger with folks that are heavily contexted in business, they the, both of them already knew what the blockchain was before their uh, their podcast interview, but it helps them close the gap as to what would make sense to put on an open ledger in these early days. And so it's so early in the wine industry that putting uh, essentially transactions that are hard to sell for wineries is the on-ramp for the wine industry to get into the blockchain space. Long-term, I think a 10-year bet, the wine industry will for sure be on the blockchain. And when it comes to what's going to be on the blockchain in the next six months or what's going to be in the blockchain this year. Almost certainly it's the transactions that are harder to sell. And so the blockchain creates uh, not only the, the proof of scarcity, it also allows for ease of transactions. And so you'll see a bunch of the wine NFT collections that we come out with later this year are going to have winemaker dinners, large formats, things that don't necessarily fit on a menu but there's only six or a dozen of them. And so if, as soon as we could prove that there's going to be uh, such a finite number of libraryable things, starting with experiences just consistently made sense to us. Uh, so many folks, anyone building wine, NFTs, anything, is probably great for the ecosystem in general, as long as it's a legitimate project just to continue to help lower the education curve for the greater group. But winemaker experiences in that relationship with the brand itself felt great because there's only going to be a dozen winemaker dinners or two dozen winemaker dinners that a winemaker can actually accommodate and host in a year. And so starting there and tokenizing it just felt like the right place time will tell and we'll, we'll have community feedback to drive us in the direction that we should go and and so if you start on the hardest to transact opportunities now yeah i think eventually you'll see much of the industry on chain but not not overnight and certainly not until you see more proof of concept i think it helps to see that there is utility right. whereas where anybody creates anything on chain, 
it's just on chain. It's just the same thing as you would find in physical, but they put it into on chain. So right. what I like about what it is that you're doing is you're thinking about something that is u- utility backed, okay? And that is that was really great to talk to Rob and Ray about as well during that episode. It's like, what is that utility going to be? And one of the great things that you're doing at Cuvée Collective is you're coming at it from the perspective of utility. Where did you get the inspiration to do something like that? Was it literally a no-brainer or was it something that you had sort of, as you say, you had uh, whiteboarded and uh, and stormed for a little bit? Uh, I, I think we, <clears throat> so we, one of the very first things that we did is we set up a, a customer advisory board. And so the initial brands that we workshopped with um, would not only get preferential treatment with us when it comes to um, like commercial terms, but we would spend the most amount of time with them. We'd go sit down for a two or a four hour session and we'd talk through many different topics. Uh, it, but I think you almost need to put your winery owner or brand owner hat on when you go into those meetings and you need to solve how can web three be additive to each and every winery's business and if you could solve it for one winery at the unit economics level then you could scale up from there and i I think that's that is one thing that we believe from the very beginning is that there's so many brands i'm i'm sitting here in napa this morning in in napa i think there's 660 vintners of which 550 of them are on the in napa vintners association so if you could solve it for one of them you could take it to all of them and it will almost certainly work for all of them without, you know, the nuances of each and every winery, of course, needing to be just um, needing to be considered. But I think the key point is we're trying to solve almost at the molecular level, like how can Web3 work for each winery, but solving for one winery and then checking that solution for winery two and winery three and so on. Um, and, and that's <clears throat> that's where we, we've stayed. We've stayed really small. We're not trying to scale up to a, a thousand wineries overnight. So, yeah. I really loved it that a lot of these wineries that I've been fortunate to speak to over the course of the last 10 weeks have all come to the conversation that we've done each time and they brought me a different perspective or a different problem that needs to be solved. And I really believe that, you know, the what it is that Cuvée Collective is doing from a utility perspective is the way. Um, I also believe that with all of those numbers and statistics that you just read out about vintners in the area, that all of them need solutions. They're generational, some of them, and some of them won't be generational. And so solutions quickly are going to run their course and then it's like okay where do we get the next idea from with it right. what it is that we want to create and that's when dan kind of like when we had a conversation with dan he was talking about the possibilities and how he saw himself as being very much aligned with web before he even started yeah that was ridiculously cool and <clears throat> I, I i love what maskin's done for their brand overall they they've got an incredible content they've got incredible editorial um, but I, I do think that the other side of that coin is many of the wine brands that we met with initially thought of this as a, 
as like a marketing pop. And so we've spent a lot of time working on reframing that where it's like, yes, it, it, it is okay to, to think about an initial push to sell your NFT collection and we'll make sure that you sell it well. But the reality is, is there needs to be a post mint life for the NFT holder and making sure that they have a great consumable experience from our case, an experience or a wine allocation or something that you that the utility actually backs the NFT. Um, so th there's a life post mint. And I think as soon as you help people understand that it's just the beginning of the relationship with the NFT holder and not the end, it, I, I think that that was um, another consistent learning that we worked with so many brands on. And I think that's going to be something that will continue to evolve. But six months in, no, this is not a marketing gimmick. This is definitely a way to have a developed relationship with a younger consumer. And so even with our wine NFTs, when you consume the utility this year, when we drop a collection for the same brand next year, you'll be on the pre-sale list because you hold a prior year's uh, vintage of NFT. So there's certainly many things that are to be seen, but we are we are very focused on on a 10 year plus horizon with the consumer relationship, not necessarily um, next 10 weeks or the next, you know, 10 months, definitely much longer than many people were thinking about it. Do you see Cuvée Collective ever pivoting towards being a standalone winery in its own right? No, I don't think so. Just from the perspective of the stuff that you've spoken about already. Uh, oh. Well, I, I should lead with our community is going to lead a lot of our decision making. So if the yeah. if the community really wanted to push us in that direction, I guess we'd entertain it. But I, I think that there's there's certainly a whole different level of skills. And, and we actually have some of the skills on on team. But um, but running running a winery, running a brand, making wine. It, it just it diffuses the focus and the focus for us is to be the on-ramp for the wine industry to get into web three. So to go buy a winery or create a DAO and buy a winery, you know, like hats off to the people working on those projects. Growing up in Napa, my family had seven acres of Cabernet and seven acres of Cabernet in the grand scheme of things, not, not big at all, but I, I saw I saw my grandfather and and crew, you know, work themselves to the bones just to manage seven acres of Cabernet. Like I, I, I certainly want to respect the, the amount of work that goes into the viticulture practice. And so for us to like wake up and do something that so many people are already doing at a high level to think that we can compete there and then also be the leaders in the web three side of things for the wine industry. It, it just doesn't feel like important to verticalize, at least at this stage. As a business, I think it's more important that we we think about the ecosystem. Not a lot of folks are, are talking about marketing the wine industry and continuing to grow the wine industry. You, you definitely have some lobby <clears throat> lobbying groups and trade organizations that are kind of horizontally focused but they're certainly not laddered up to the Web3 space. And so on a 10-year basis, 
the wine industry has to get into Web3. And we'd like to continue to position ourselves as the, some of the people that'll be at the forefront of that conversation. So to own a winery, pretty low on the list of priorities. Tell us a little bit about the community of Cuve Collective, because I've really enjoyed seeing the community grow over the last few weeks. It's been interesting that Wining Web 3 kicked off at about the same time as the community started to grow inside um, Cuve Collective. How have you seen this? And it's been pretty exponential. I spend quite a lot of time in the Discord channel, actually, <laughs> and I see people talking about wine all the time. And it actually brings me a great deal of comfort and encouragement that the wine industry is being empowered by Gen Z and is being empowered by people who have a natural propensity and interest towards NFT. How have you enjoyed watching the community grow? Yeah, the, commu the community's honestly been great. I, I don't know if, if there's one aspect of it that I enjoy more than another, but I think having I, I would consider us at minimum viable community now for launch. Um, but building that community over time, we spent probably four or five months prepping to have a community and about five weeks building a community. And I think that that inherently is just a bit different than what many folks would do or recommend. I, I do think we made some things unnecessarily challenging on ourselves, but we didn't know how we wanted to speak about ourselves or our business. And we spent a lot of time making sure we understood who we were uh, as a project, as, as a brand, as brand partners. And so we wanted to solve for who and how our brand partners were going to be with us before we went and talked to a community. Having two conversations running with a community and brand partners at the same time was going to be really challenging. So we put the community off and we started, we like set up the discord and Twitter and all that jazz maybe as early as April or May, but I think we didn't actually start organizing and setting up bots and like properly setting up the discord until June. And so we, we knew that having a community was a full-time content treadmill. And, and that was something that once we started, we knew we, we weren't going to be able to stop. So we put it off as long as we could. And now that, um, so we finalized our partnership with Dapper Labs and then, um, yeah, it, it's just been, it's just been really great, but we knew that there was going to be a high need for content um, from the start. So we spent those first four or five months recording content, putting content in the can and making sure that we had a lot of fresh information. And when I say content, it really has to be educational or it has to be entertainment based, but you need to have fresh content every single day for a community to actually thrive and have a conversation and dialogue and keep the engagement. But we don't want to compete for screen time the same way that social platforms do. So it's like when you're in the mood to think or talk or have a conversation about wine, you know, we'd, we'd want you to hope we'd hopefully want you to come check in with us or see what's going on in our discord. So it's like a snackable, but we, we don't, you know, want to keep your attention for like two hours a day, like Facebook, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
And also, if you've been listening to Winding Web 3 over the course of the last 10 weeks, it's been fun-packed, entertaining and educational in every single episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> give me a little bit of a, not a pitch, but onboard me a little bit into the NFT that will launch in association with DAP Labs in the next few weeks. Tell me a little bit more about what it is that the community can expect and let us know if there's still space for whitelisting and tell us everything that we need to know about the NFT. Yeah, sure. So our roadmap's really linear. Uh, we're dropping a collector NFT. I'll tell you about that in just a second. And then shortly thereafter, we're dropping 12 consecutive brand NFTs over 12 consecutive weeks. And so the idea is the collector NFT allows anyone that holds the collector to be on a pre-sale list for any of the 12 wine brands that we drop NFT collections for over those 12 weeks. And so from a calendar basis, the collector is going to go on sale on July 27th. And then mid-August, we're going to drop our first wine NFT collection for 12 consecutive weeks. So when we get up to the holidays, we'll pause we'll have an opportunity to use the month of December to check in with the community, make sure the direction we're going is the direction that they're enjoying. We'll have um, feedback from the wine brands at that point. So it'll be a great opportunity to look back at the road that we've traveled for the month of December. But as far as the value of the collector, I couldn't stress this enough. There are no white lists in our community. Like it, it's this, when you see so many of these other projects going out, people have used whitelists to sell out their collection and, and people have used whitelists in, in a fair way, but also a majority of the projects that are doing whitelists are also just hooking up their friends, just hooking up people that could do promotion for them. And I think that we, we planted a flag early on and said that we're just going to be a fair access project. So what we did is we set up a, That's amazing. we set up a presale window. And if you signed up during the presale window, you're in the pre-sale, and if you don't, if you don't, and you missed it, uh, you could still mint on public access up until the time the allocation's out. But the collector NFT, the main utility of the collector is not only are you a, a founding member of the community, you have the opportunity to be on the pre-sale list for any of the brands that we drop, and so um, it doesn't mean that people can't buy the wine NFTs when they come out, you do not have to have the collector NFT to buy any of the wine NFTs. It, it's just, there's a higher likelihood that some of the small lot collections will sell out from the collectors. Some of these collections, there's only gonna be 25 or 50 NFTs. And so the collectors will probably be the people that have the opportunity to buy them before anyone else. And so I think that's the, that's the core value there. We've, we've intentionally made all of our pricing very approachable. And so at $129, if you pre-regged for the pre-sale, um, you could buy a collector. And at $179, that's the public mint price if you did not make the pre-sale. Like this is not like a get-rich-quick scheme. This is, a, no. this is definitely a plan to build for the future. And we want to have folks that are Web3 initiated or um, curious have an opportunity to buy their first NFT. And we don't believe that the wine industry is in Web3 today, whether you're a consumer or a brand, really. I mean, you have some people that have, have gone before us, but from a community standpoint, nobody's managed to truly aggregate a bunch of wine enthusiasts into one community. 
And so we wanted our all of our pricing to not be a deterrent. Like this is not some insider's club, and at least as of today, you know what I mean? You created inclusivity. That's really unusual. When you say that you're not going to whitelist because you want everybody to have a fair uh, entrance to the NFT, I think that's amazing. Speaking as somebody who is surrounded by messages all day long from people saying, come on to the whitelist and blah, blah, I know exactly what it is that you're talking about. So that inclusivity effectively adds more utility to what it is that you've created. So kudos for doing that. And I'm not just saying it because I'm the host of Winding Web 3. I, I'm honestly saying it as a person that works in this space. And you can't put a value on inclusivity. If you want everybody to be a part of it, then you have to allow everybody to be a part of it. So that's amazing. That's the first part. <laughs> and then the second part of this is the pivoting towards the metaverse. Dan and I and... Maria and even Boris and I over the last three, four weeks especially have talked about the positioning of products inside the metaverse. What is the positioning of Cuvée Collective with a view towards the metaverse and not just Web3? Is there a space for it? Uh, I def is it gamified? I, I definitely think there's a space for it. Uh, I, I think that the short-term challenge is that you have to one, be a viable business, and then two, be able to take your community to the same ecosystem. So we're not going to build a metaverse. Uh, at least it, it's not our interest that as, of, as we sit here today. But when it comes to thinking about the metaverses and just user funnels, we already have enough of a challenge. And so bringing people into their first NFT collection as a wine consumer is likely our most common consumer. And are they inside of Sandbox or are they inside of Decentraland or are they inside of any of the other metaverse ecosystems? The answer is almost certainly not. And so to bring a meaningful amount of people down that user funnel in the near term, probably pretty unlikely. But mid to long term, absolutely. I, I certainly think there's huge scope for that. I just don't think that that's going to be a, a critical need of the average wine consumer in, in, the, in, in the shorter horizons. But we could certainly do some really great activations with some of those folks if, um, if there's enough lead time. I think to have it a really engaged community is our highest priority. And if the community wants us to put together something in the sandbox or something in um, the central land, we're all for it. I, I just don't want our community to feel like we're just shilling out marketing gimmicks because nobody has done it before. Like it, it's not that you see a lot of big brands announce their metaverse activation and it's just a, it's just a gimmick and, and we're, we're trying so hard to stay away from it. Yeah. I mean, from the perspective of something being double marketing, you know, that you've got to decide which avenue you want to go down first, I think. And the metaverse, when people sort of say we will build it, that's just a fool's errand. The metaverse is out there. Right. You can connect to it in a variety of different forms. One thing I am quite kind of quite interested in, though, is the opportunities that creating almost a 
a simulation of Napa Valley inside a space, whether it's through virtual reality or AR, or whether it's a gamified application. That's something that really excites me because I'm here in Switzerland. Yes, okay, Switzerland's got plenty of vineyards and valleys with which that stuff's grown, but Napa Valley's a long way from here. And if I want to have that connection through the NFT that I purchased within Cuvée Collective, I would love in the future to be able to see that NFT being used in a simulated way also. Uh, what do you think about that? Is that a crazy idea? No, I don't think it's crazy. <laughs> I, I, would never, I would never bet against the internet, but I, I just think that the practical application of, of the user experience, regardless what world you're building in, it has to be fun. It has to be engaging. And, and those, for the same reasons that we wouldn't own a winery, to think that we could put together the best world-class 3D VR experience or you know some level of virtual experience that competes with the AAA devs or some of these large format indie studios, and it, again, it's just a high bar. And because we've worked so closely in the mobile and, and game ecosystem for the last decade, we know what excellent looks like. And it's an extremely hard bar to, to cross. So to think that we're going to show up and own a winery one day, not likely. To think that we're going to show up and like nail the best virtual land experience in the metaverse, not likely. It's probably best for us to focus on bringing wine consumers to the people that are building open worlds and metaverses so that we can have great activations we can have land in the central land where there's a tasting room and experiences that we could put together there um you know that that's how i think we'd think about it that's exciting now before i let you go just a little quick fire round what was your favorite episode of wine and web three uh, I, I loved them all equally. No, um, ah! <laughs> I, I, I think the, it, it, it was really fun to reconnect with some of the guests because I had known them in, in, uh, different times of my life. And so for example, to see somebody like Dr. Eiler come on and, and actually do the podcast was particularly exciting. So he was one of my professors for my my undergrad when I was at Sonoma, he, he had a money and banking class that was just like absolutely brutal. And there was no, there was never any homework in the class. And he just had two midterms and a test and that was your grade. And so he's like, I don't care if you come to, wow. I don't care if you come to class or not, just make sure you, you do well on these three things because they make up all of your grade. Um, so yeah, his his money and banking. Class. He was a big softy in the podcast as well. I was really surprised that you say that that he did like a couple of midterms and you either like sit it or and pass or you don't. Because <laughs> he was a big softy. He's obviously being very polite. Oh, I, I don't. Um, I, I don't. I don't even know if he um, is still teaching a money and banking class or not. But back in the day, um, let's see. I must have had that class literally fifteen years ago. So. Yeah. Anyway, but um, it was it's great to reconnect with him. But I think what I enjoyed about mm. the first season of Wine and Web Three is that we wanted to talk to figureheads across 
the industry and it felt like we achieved that. We talked to some some great brand owners. We spoke to Silicon Valley Bank. We spoke to Sonoma State. And so it, as you look at the guests on the podcast, it's, it's many people that are thought leaders across the industry, but bring a different perspective. And we want we wanted this first season of Wine and Web 3 to feel approachable. If you don't know anything about NFTs, And if you don't know anything about NFTs, it, it should feel like this is an easy on-ramp. Yeah, it was very natural to be able to talk about it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm like you. I can't really pinpoint a specific episode that I thoroughly enjoyed. I super enjoyed them all. The ones where I came away learning so much, I think, were the super exciting ones for me, I love learning. And I think that education in this space, especially, not just in wine, but in Web3 as well, these two things coming together is a sort of an iconoclast of ideas. We can only go forward from that space. We can't kind of look back and say, all right, let's just go back to the physical way that we used to do things. It's not possible. We have to move forward now. So I'll be super excited to see what season two brings. Andrew, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do it. And also, thank you so much for being my guest today on Wine and Web 3. It's been amazing. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Thanks for hosting. Well, that's it for this season of Wine and Web 3. I've been Kelly Vero. You've been amazing. We've had some really interesting conversations, haven't we? But the party's not over. We're just getting started. So why don't you stick around and see what season two will bring? It will bring much more of the same interesting conversations, content and education that you've loved in season one. And if you have loved season one, why not rate and review us wherever our pods are casted? Until then, don't forget to stay in the loop with all things Cuvée Collective. And you can find us on Discord, Instagram and CuvéeCollective.com. See you next time. And thank you.